Mary, welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And I'm your co-host, Shane McKay. And I'm your co-host, Chris Sneed. And here at Can, we focus on inclusive and open dialogue, and we have a great show lined up for you about the hashtag Derelict Ireland movement. Yeah, that's right. And we've got two really great guests in who are doing some really great work and have been actively engaged in trying to, I would say, Chris, improve fairly improve fairly obvious problems that we're facing in Ireland um, to do with dereliction and vacant buildings. we got Dr. Frank O'Connor and Jude Sherry, and they ha- have an agency called Anish, uh, get that, Anish.org, and they're into sustainable design. Chris is going to get that into that in a moment. Actually, I'll pull up the old, uh, their website there so folks can see that at home. There we go. That's 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 the landing page there. Hashtag Derelict Ireland. Here's a bit of info the guys, uh, the, the folks sent over for us. Um, cool. So, hashtag Derelict Ireland. During the summer of 2020, Anish co-founders Jude Sherry and Dr. Frank O'Connor began to share a daily dose of dereliction on one long Twitter tw- uh, thread. And based on 18 months research, the thread visualized and framed the vacancy and dereliction epidemic in Cork city centre, reaching over 450 properties within a two kilometre radius over a one year, over a one year period leading to a national derelict Ireland movement. Their immersive research work has challenged our society to rethink its relationship with resources, in particular property in the context of imagining a functioning social contract. To challenge the common mantra that vacancy and dereliction is inevitable and unsolvable in Ireland, Anish produced This Is Derelict Ireland report. Along with debunking the 10 common myths of dereliction, it is the first ever in-depth data-driven study of dereliction in this country. The report has been viewed by thousands of, has been viewed thousands of times since its launch in spring 2021. And they presented their findings and policy recommendations to the House of the Oireachtas in December, as December just gone, 2021, and subsequently featured on RT6, RT6 at 1 and the 9 o'clock news that evening. So just, just, just to put a date on it, today is Wednesday. We're taping this show on Wednesday, the 2nd of March, 2022, just because this story is moving quite quickly. We want to, we're not sure when it's, it's going to go out soon, but just to put yeah, it in there, context. There, there is a lot going on. Like There's a lot going on, which is really encouraging. So before I let Chris explain, oh, the other, the other thing we're going to talk about is the hashtag rest work play. Um, thing that, that that Frank and Jude have been uh, kind of highlighting and, and, and working on that idea. That's really important as well. We're going to let them get into that. But quickly, just to mention that we already mentioned their website. That's anish.org. That's A-N-O-I-S dot org. And you'll also find they've got a Twitter for that. And then Frank has got a Twitter, Frank O'Connor, at Frank O'Connor. You can see it on screen there, is it? I've got it on screen there, yeah. And then Jude Sherry also has Jude Sherry. Okay. Um, all the links will be in the description. So if you're looking for that stuff, if you want to get it to hand. And we've got some photos and stuff of some of their work. There's one of the first properties they shared um, a photograph of. And we'll get into that in a minute. So Chris, do you want to do you want to tell us about Anish then? Right. So uh, as you've mentioned, uh, Anish is a is a is a thing that uh, Jude Sherry and Dr. Frank O'Connor who are global systems designers, activists, urban explorers, and co-founders of Anish. 
Combined, they have over 50 years' experience working on sustainability projects all over the world with governments on policy, businesses on strategy, and educational institutes on curriculum development. Initial Ply is systems design approach to resource use in products, buildings, and urban environments, always with sustainability, circularity, responsibility, equality, and social justice at the core. Initial creates vision, steers strategy, and um, outlines potential solutions always backed by international best practice and data. Jude and Frank are transdisciplinary, multi-award winning, educated to masters and degree level, and are viewed as international leaders in their field. Frank first called for circular economy in Ireland in 1989 and is only now being embraced by the Irish government over 30 years later. Jude called out greenwashing in her degree thesis in 2003. Yes, brilliant. So these guys are like well ahead of the curve working they're, on this. They have a good pedigree. Yeah, <laughs> that's one way of putting it all, right? So we're going to bring them on, bring them on now, right now. And hi, Frank. Hi, Jude. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. How are you doing? You're very, very welcome to the Cam Projects here today. We're delighted to have you here with us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the invitation. Look, we're delighted to get the chance to chat to you. Yeah, you're more than welcome. And yeah. I have to say, like, I'm really encouraged to see that this kind of work is is happening in Ireland. And I got to say, as soon as I came across, I was like, we got to talk to these guys because it's quite obvious it's a, it's a sincere work that you're doing, and you have a you, you have a genuine interest in your community. And it's in we're we're all about active engagement here as well, and we think that's it's really really important to to, to be interested in our communities and what's going on. So you're more than welcome here. So I suppose we can kind of get straight into it um, to start off, I suppose, for people who haven't heard about the hashtag derelict Ireland movement, I suppose it'd be good, good, good just to start there. What is it? Great. Well, <clears throat> it's sort of all come from um, really from uh, us wanting to start a conversation around the um, dereliction in Ireland um, that we moved back here late 2018 we've been living away for a few decades and we moved from amsterdam to cork city and when we came back we i mean we fell in love with the with the people i mean it's a friendliness of the irish people and cork city particularly is it's a wonderful place to, to chat to people but we were really struck by the um the homeless crisis the housing crisis and that combined with the vacancy levels and the high levels of dereliction and our decaying heritage. So that was a kind of a, I suppose, a shock to our system. And we really felt a responsibility as citizens to try and do something about it, to try and utilize our skills to, um, and really we, we struggled to figure out what to do really. So we spent about 18 months researching and realized that there was a lot of people, I suppose, working in housing and homelessness and stuff, but very few people had really had a conversation about dereliction. And um, so we decided to focus our research on dereliction and uh, started walking the streets of Cork, taking pictures, having conversations with people um, and really trying to understand why we got to this level where it's been normalised. And I suppose like, one of the main motivations with that as well is that because for people who are struggling either even to pay their rents or to find a secure home um, or living in overcrowded or maybe unsuitable conditions, to see homes laying empty and allowed to go derelict really sends quite a strong message that our society is a very unequal society. And I suppose that's really, mm. it's it, the dereliction is really a visualization of that inequality that we wanted to highlight. 
Yeah, that's great. And you know, I I really agree. I really agree with what, what you've that statement. Um, I think that what we're seeing it it is a, it, it it it's a symptom of kind of a bigger problem. You know, where people have become disengaged with society. You know, mm. so it's like, how can you even address these issues when people are not actually t together on a lot of levels? And I think that's a very important point because when we started to to walk around and take photographs and chat to people. Um, we got a lot of kind of, I suppose, people coming back to us and saying, that's the way things are, just accept it. Yeah. You know, Ireland's always been like this. It's never going to change. And I suppose both of us come from, um, I suppose, quite idealistic backgrounds, really, but we've both been pushing uh, for a more equal, socially just, sustainable society for all our careers. So for us, we've always been pushing that boulder up the hill. So we're used to rejection yeah. and we're used to a very slow progress. So for us, telling us that that's the way things are was was that extra motivation to really say, well, actually, let's show that it could change or that there could be an alternative. But also we had moved from Amsterdam, which had a huge dereliction and vacancy problem back in the late 70s, early 80s, and they had addressed it. Mm -hmm. And so if they could address it, is it, you know, the question is, are the Dutch better than us? Or can we also address it as well? And um, I think... It's great. It's a, you came with a case study, like, you know, yeah, you came prepared, yeah. like, so it's brilliant. Yeah, because uh, the Dutch solves it fairly, um, fairly thoroughly, like, you know, every, totally. every kind of available space is taken now. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And they, they're constantly evolving and constantly changing as well. Mm. Like, so they're, they're, it's not like they've just done one thing a few years ago or a few decades ago and then stopped it's like with their road infrastructure their cycling infrastructure it's constant mm. proof yeah like that's the proof well, of concept right there like yeah yeah um, I, I mean you have other examples as well like um in england after world war ii there was mass homelessness for like a year <laughs> you know mm. they just really just pushed into it and got things fixed and built up and that's it. And it's, and yeah. it's, look, change is possible. You know, I mean, like I said, on a personal basis, I've always believed change is possible. And that's what drives me, what motivates me. And I think if we live in a society like Ireland, where there is a lot of wealth, but unfortunately it it lies with a very small number of people, we all have a duty to, to challenge that. And to move back to Ireland, um, you know, to a country that my grandfather fought for, in the war of independence and civil war for for our freedom to come back and see a, a country that's gone so far away from what the ideals that they fought for you know and that's because mm. that was a shock to us as well that mm. it was the acceptance that this is normal that it should never be normal in society for people to be dying on the streets it should never be normal and that's what we came back to yeah and came back to an almost an apathy towards people on the streets. And what we yeah. did, I suppose, is we kind of went out to, to try and chat to people, at least give them the time of day, at least say hello to someone. Absolutely. And and acknowledge that they're a human being. Yeah. And we were very fortunate that um, early on when we moved back here, that we um, got friendly with a guy, actually, who was without a home. Uh, he was the same age as me. And we met him pretty regularly for the first year and he was living in the local park and what a wonderful human being. And um, I think he left us, I suppose he gave us a lot of um, insight into um, what it was like to be without a home in Ireland and, and, the, and the prejudices he was facing yeah. and the challenges he was facing as well. And I think that also gave us 
extra motivation because, mm. you know, the crazy thing about this guy was that uh, his name is Jimmy. The crazy thing about Jimmy was he was always trying to give you something. Yeah, that was the thing. Every time we met him in the park, he was always trying to share something. Yeah, well, it's, we, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, you're touching on a, a, a subject that we, that's kind of come up a few times for us um, with different guests. Is like basically a lot of the time this kind of sickness in society. I think we've started to just call it call it what it is. There's a sickness in society. Like it, greed really goes to the center of it. So a lot of mm. it's quite quite often it, 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 not just in Ireland, but it's it's a human thing that you you do tend to find that that. People with with very little somehow manage to dig deeper and 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 find a real happiness that's not just built on a material kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, I, I have an example of that as well. Actually, we used to do um, a charity um, holistic treatment thing where you know you get your holistic treatment and donate what you feel is appropriate towards various charities. And um, it was like people in suits with Lexuses and all would be uh, rooting out the coppers from their money. Yeah, putting in the coppers whereas people will be going right I need this much this is my bus fare right you have the rest of that <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah, yeah you know it's the greed thing and it's like yeah. it is kind of infectious I think uh, the greed well, thing yeah I think and I think look we've all experienced it probably at various stages of a lifetime but like I suppose I grew up in the I was born in the late 60s so I grew up in the 70s in Ireland and 80s and in time uh, in rural Ireland where Okay, it's cliched, but there wasn't a lot. No one had very much. But what we had a huge community, and um, the, that sort of community was priceless. Yeah, but it's funny that, you mentioned that because there's. Yeah. Uh, I saw an interview with the lead singer from The uh, Who there on RTE oh, recently, yeah. and he was talking pretty much exactly like what you're talking about. Well, similar after the Second World War and how it, I can't remember what part of England he was from, but he was saying how. That it would, oh, you know, they're saying we're poor. And it's like the, he, his attitude was like, no, we're not poor. We were very rich. We had a great sense of community. We were able to go out and play safely and simple things like that. So he saw himself as, no, no, we weren't poor at all, actually. Yeah, but that's it, rich, rich in community. And, and that's mm. like, I suppose. I feel I was very lucky, exceptionally lucky to experience that. And then for it to, I suppose my parents would have instilled a very strong, I mean, a very strong ethical approach. And my parents, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've realized that more and more as years go by. So they kind of set a very strong ethical foundation and how you treat people. And experience with, as well with my dad, um, uh, like my dad was a building contractor and he's a small building contractor, but he'd go out and um, he spent a lot of his weekend, or his weeknights and weekends helping people, just helping people, calling to people, checking out if they're okay. Uh, shaving a man and helping to shave or bringing some food or whatever it was. And it was just part of that kind of life. But exactly what you said there earlier is that he found that the well-off people were very hard to get money from. So if he did a job for someone with a big farm and stuff, it could be quite difficult to get the money. If he did a job for someone who was struggling to survive, they paid my dad always, if possible up front, but definitely on a week-by-week basis. Yeah. It was such a contrast. Yeah, and I think that stuck with me as well. You know that mm. having all this wealth doesn't really do anyone any a lot of good in terms of how they are with, within the community. 
Well, I mean, it's 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 a it's it again. It's it, maybe it sounds a bit cliche, but you can't take it with you, you know, when we're gone. Like yeah. so, I mean, there's yeah. a level you get to like that. You're just hoarding, like you're just like you're just you're just sitting on resources, hoarding stuff, you know. And and that's come up a lot actually in in a lot of conversations we've had, Chris, isn't it? Like the same kind of thing. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like it ties into everything, you know. Um, if you're if you're if your greed is making you reach for the the quick book, like you're not caring about what sort of waste you're producing. Yeah, you know if you know greed kind of is the foundation of a lot of the problems. Like, yeah, you know. So, Frank, we 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 were we that's great to hear. Actually, a bit. Of, I was got what that was something I was going to ask you is about like your background and how he how he's kind of got into this kind of work but I'd love to Jude I'd love to hear the same from you like like about your bit a little bit about your background and um were you always into sustainability or was that the way you were raised or how did it come about um well I suppose like like most Irish people we were raised with uh repairing stuff and second hands and hand-me-downs because that was yeah. what you did you, you you know not many people would have had a huge amount of disposable income to buy loads of things yeah. but like we were I suppose comfortable like growing up. So my dad always had a job, so we were lucky in that sense. Um, but we grew our own food. Our back garden was uh, generally ploughed into to grow potatoes and bits, bits of everything as well. So like that kind me, of me and train do a bit of that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. for me, I think the like what I remember as a child a lot was the um a few things that Captain Planet was a massive influence. <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Captain Planet. Hashtag Captain Planet. After, yeah. yeah. It seemed to be one I actually just recently rewatched it. Sorry? Like, I recently just rewatched a whole lot of Captain Planet there. Oh, well. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I watched a few of it. Your sons. My God, it was extreme. It kind of was, wasn't oh, yeah. it? Yeah. I don't think you'd get away well, with putting that on kids' no. TV today at all. Like, no, it was. Yeah. Like watching, especially the opening what? scenes and stuff, you're like that. That's it's it was extreme. No wonder it had an impact. Yeah. I think that, yeah. and then I do remember, um, like the acid rain and the ozone layer yeah. depletion as well. Yeah. Like a lot of news mm. around that at the time. Yeah, well, that, I mean, we did, did. We were taught that kind of stuff in school and geography, like about the acid yeah. rain and like it's yeah. that's that's a reality. Like, so why shouldn't it be taught in schools? That's something that that's going on. Like, that's it, and like. So that was the the late eighties, early nineties in in primary school, um, and then like I suppose that's why I was like fifth, sixth class, so a bit more aware of what was going on. And we still had green flags as well back then, um, so we were would have been collecting newspapers for recycling and hmm. all that kind of stuff. So Cash I do remember, hands. yeah, like as a as a hmm. kid, then asking for. Um, I remember a news a news reporter came around and asked us what we wanted in our local area, and I was asking for recycling centres when all the other kids were asking for playgrounds. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it did oh, start early. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah, and then in my I suppose secondary school was just normal. I really got back into it then again in my degree. So I read a book called Fifth Fifth Papinac's Design for the Real World, and um, so it's written in the seventies about how design is both a cause of and a solution to a lot of global problems. Mm. Um, so that was a massive influence on me. And at the time, I didn't want to finish my degree um, because the opening sentence is one of the, or is the most destructive um, job in the world, basically, is, is design followed then by, or the only 
more destructive than that is, is advertising. Yeah. Was it <laughs> so, your thesis, Jude? Well, well, I read it out there earlier. Yeah, you, you focused on greenwashing a lot. Is that- yeah, so I did, yeah, it was about 2003. So I looked at the impacts of um, environmental communication on consumers and, and what impact that has. Like, even at, back then, there was companies like the, um, what you call it, the body... Body Shop was just controversies around their greenwashing at the time that they were claiming to Ooh. recycle plastics and stuff and they weren't doing it. Mm. So there was a lot of greenwashing happening. I suppose that came after Naomi Klein's um, low logo in the late 90s as well. So I would have been heavily influenced by a lot of that stuff as well. And those discussions around globalization, global supply chains, sweatshops. Mm. Um, Oh, so I suppose it- yeah, that's interesting. My my, my friend actually um, did a thesis kind of similar to that, um, um, but she focused more so on textiles. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's something so we're, we're going to get into that at some stage. Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at the product labeling, um, you know, re- recycle labels and stuff, and do people actually understand them and where do they go? Because but- I, I think green, I suppose green as a term became quite common like uh, late 90s, early yeah. zeros. Yeah. So yeah. I suppose. But like one of my main conclusions in, in it at the time was that we need to stop t- calling ourselves consumers and start looking at oh. ourselves as citizens again. Um, yeah. And then that citizen has a different responsibility to than just being someone who just takes and consumes all yeah, the time. Yeah, that's a great point because it is, it is like when you think about it, it is kind of backward, isn't it? To like that, we like we're people, you know, before yeah, we're consumers, yeah. like, or anything yeah. else, like we're people before we're anything else, like. Yeah, people before it, consumption. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's it. <laughs> but it suits the narrative for, for for business and stuff uh, yeah. that we are classified as consumers. Um, yeah, it's funny that the way language is so important, like with these oh, things. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So we we kind of t- t- touched touched on something a little bit there, and there was a question I had for you. Um, to do with the fact that well, you, you 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 both have a back as we spoke about a background in sustainable design, and you understand the the value of the circular economy. So that's something that we kind of we, we just like. Will we, will we get into that a little bit? And be, before we yeah, get more, we, we into do it. circle back to that a bit. All right, don't we? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Continuously circling, circling around is right. Does feel like the circular economy circles around quite a lot? All right. Um. So, like, I suppose for. Like from my perspective anyway, we would have all lived circularly and, and society would have been a circular economy right up until really the 1940s. I mean, the Industrial Revolution would have had an impact in terms of creating cheaper products, but really the disposable side and the linear side of the economy really only started in the 1940s when we had mass consumption. And it was post-war period. Post-war period mm. when there needs to be, when production especially more or less in the US when the production transferred from military production into product consumption, product condu- they needed a market for it. And for, there was a lot of technical advancements at the time as well, but that continuous um, new product development. So one of the most famous quotes from the father, what would be, who would be considered the father of industrial design, Raymond Lowry, around um, the most beautiful curve is the sales curve. So it's, it's a rising sales, rising sales curve. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sure, sure. Um, they created bodies to make themselves look better. Like um, Keep America Beautiful was one of them, where it was basically the the big corporations making the single use items were funding this thing to um, shift the blame to the public rather than the companies producing the things. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I suppose that was yeah. I mean, it was 
consume, consume, consume. And I suppose in a way, when it started, some of the products were more repairable. Uh, definitely, yeah. But then over time, yeah. I suppose it moved from repairable to short life disposable. Yeah, yeah and it's literally that was that's like the model of of how the design isn't it? It's literally mm. like and together. See, as it, as time went on, and I I I saw it a lot in it, like being involved with sound and things like that. How you know, like the the older equipment and stuff, you could fix it, but incrementally, especially with the digital the digital yeah. stuff came in, um, it was just like the the, the products were put together and, together in such a way that there's really no way to fix it without without completely breaking the thing you know it's all no. glued together and it's maybe it made it, yeah they made it difficult to fix. i mean there was a that was a, obviously designed for obsolescence was a, was a, uh, a deliberate strategy and i suppose i experienced it firsthand because in 1988 when i was in my third year of my degree i was asked to come up with a final project that's quite standard if you do design or technology or some kind of subject you usually decide in your the end of your third year and then your final year you focus on that but um i couldn't think of anything to come up with honestly i was like uh you know i don't know i wasn't kind of motivated that way really or i didn't see the point of making anything and so i ended up basically um uh, not coming up with any idea and i was told to try and get some inspiration by chatting to a lecturer in a different department. So I ended up having a conversation with a chemistry lecturer. And um, that really was the spark to change a lot of my my career, really. Mm -hmm. um, he asked me about uh, recycling and about recovery and what happens to all the products that we make and where do they end up and uh, what's going to happen to the materials. And I was like, oh, my God, third year my degree, three years down, uh, doing well. And no one's ever chatted to me about that before. So I spend my summer holidays with my parents' support, traveling around Ireland, looking at products and into life, like materials, like uh, metals and stuff, and uh, and spend my final year. And that's how I kind of ended up calling for a closed-loop type circular economy in 1989, but also seeing firsthand by visiting the companies the mounted computer products, which are relatively new back in 1989, if you like, in terms of consumer devices, just piling up in the warehouses piling up looks electronic waste piling up and i think that was a huge eye-opener for me and that like you said all the stuff that we were all keen to use computers which were quite new in the market were just piling up and uh, and that for me was a, a real eye-opener a bit like jude with her degree experience where you switch you read the book for me it wasn't reading a book it was actually this conversation with this guy asking me questions and like why are we producing all this stuff, you know? And, well, that's uh, a great illustration, Frank, of why it is important to talk to people and, and, and yeah. to talk to people that might, it's not, are not necessarily just in their direct sphere. Like, go out and go and get fresh perspectives. And, definitely. you know, it's really important, yeah. There will definitely, I mean, 100%. And like I said, I went from a student who was doing well enough, now in fairness, because I was lucky enough that I could kind of get by okay. I mean, I was a total social party person, but I could get my results. But I went from a person who didn't really know what they were doing, but they were getting through their degrees, suddenly being probably one of the most motivated people um, in terms of wanting to understand this and probably went too deep into it to get it for my degree results. I spent too long at this, really, because I didn't, some of the other subjects suffered, but I got so into it. And um, I suppose I, I began to understand that I could play a role in it as well by understanding these issues and communicating it. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of, and like, 
not realizing that when I set a call for that kind of idea in Ireland in 1989, I wasn't the first person, maybe the first person in Ireland, but globally, it was just another movement, really. And it went on in the zero zeros, or sorry, the 90s, industrial ecology, and then there was the cradle to cradle, and then there's the circle economy now, and now there's the donut economy. But they're all variations of the same thing. Hmm. I mean, we would have both been... Like, I'm not great to read a book, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm one of those people who scans through things. I'm a great person to scan stuff. So I'll flick through the whole book really quickly and get a good idea and be able to have a conversation with someone as if I've read it. But uh, whereas you read the detail. But we've both been inspired by a lot of textbooks that came. And I actually have read a lot of these from the late 60s and early 70s. And, Again, that's uh, great. That's really important for context. Like, context is so important with these things. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I think... A lot of it's been written. I suppose the point is that it's all been written before. You know, like we're we're talking today, you know, and stuff. But like it's and it's, even if you go back like earlier than that, I think the sixties yeah. and seventies stuff can be a little easier for it to digest because it's based on a hmm. pretty similar modern society with cars and airplanes and stuff and and, and consumer products. But if you go back to the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, with the arts and crafts yeah. movement. Um, so it would have been a similar kind of philosophy behind it is how can we make the economy work for us instead of us working for the economy? Mm. And how can we make sure an economy provides for everybody by using the least amount of resources um, but gives everyone a fulfilling work? Uh, so, again, I suppose back there, it gives everyone a place to rest, a home, good quality home that that's fulfilling to them, provides a loving, secure place where they have an opportunity <laughs> to create and to play. Um, but also... Finish on show, eh? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But yeah, so that's yeah. I suppose it is if we are reinventing the wheel. A lot of times we're reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's interesting. So um there's something there. I, 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 oh yeah. So we 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 are gonna talk. I really want to get into this rest play work model. Um but before we get on to that, I I uh there was I'm just gonna show a couple of photographs. We're going, let's get back into the derelict Ireland thing. And, and, I, and, and, oh, yeah, and we haven't that. had a look at any of the photographs. Yeah, yeah we get into that now uh, a little bit. So I'll just pull, let me see, sorry, one sec, where are we going? There we go. So that's, is that, that's the first, that's a f picture of the first property that you that shared online it. on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So that was taken uh, on the 24th of June around, I think around nine or 10 o'clock in the evening. And it was, uh, house in Cork City, just on the outskirts of the city centre. It was uh, a lovely family home at one stage, and unfortunately it's been left decay now for a decade or so. Uh, we've, we've, we've chatted to the neighbours, um, and for them obviously it's very frustrating because it's obviously it attracts antisocial behaviour, and also it's, it's such an eyesore, and obviously you've got infestations as well in terms of rats and stuff. Mm. But, um, but yeah, beautiful property, so that's the one that we shared first. And that's the one we built on. And actually, as it happens, that property now has been featured quite a lot in the media. And it's become almost like a poster property of the derelict Ireland movement because, you know, it's been on TV quite a few times now as well and also in the newspapers as well. And I suppose it's, it's it highlights a lot of issues. But one thing it highlights is how, at the moment, how the system isn't working for the people. That house hasn't been on the derelict site register at all. So when that that has wow. sold, it sold probably ten years ago, ten, more than ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago, um, and it was a a livable home 
so the family that were living there sold it and moved out, but it, they had done a lot of work to it. So it was a, it was a perfectly livable home at the time. Mm. So the person who bought it has left it decay and been empty for, for that all, all that time. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah. And, and what's interesting about it is that um, it's being used as a car park. So a car park is deemed more valuable than, than a home, yeah. but also clearly it's been left there to speculate because there's land in the front and land in the back. So obviously it's a speculation exercise. But also um, we've had feedback from people because a lot of people contact us and give us, I suppose, information confidentially and they're happy for us to share it, but not necessarily who shared information with us. But sure. people have said they've seen people purposefully taking down elements of their roof and the chimney there. Really? Wow. So stealing, stealing lead. <laughs> well, no, actually, allowing the uh, rain to come in, oh, and allowing the weather to actually hit the house, so the house becomes rots even further. Yeah, but that's so because, is that like a kind of broken so social contract kind of kind of scenario? We're going to yeah. get into that as well. Absolutely. Like yeah. when you have a look at that, if you go back, great thing about Google Maps is you can go back and look what Street View was like into back in two thousand nine, even, and mm. that house is in exactly the same state back in 2009. So it's been quite a long time in that state and all that time. So for about 32 years, we've had a derelict sites act, which meant the council can go in and um, enacted a number of different powers to try and mm. motivate or to take, eventually take the property off the owner. Now that's yeah, because, I think that's, yeah, sorry. It's, is it that they can claim 25% of the property a year, isn't it? Once it's put down on the dereliction list. No, no. So there's a number of things they can do. They can, they, once they register it, they can, um, it was 3% tax on the value, but it's gone up to 7% tax now. So they can tax it every year for 7%. Um, and then the, that money goes into the council and the council can spend it as they wish then. So they can actually do that either to to spend more staff to enforce the laws or to spend it on beneficial things within the city and to create more homes for instance they can also then eventually they can cpo it and the property so if it's on the derelict registry and they want to take and the owner isn't doing anything say hasn't paid their taxes they can cpo it and use those tax unpaid taxes against the the value cpo is compulsory compulsory. so they can take ownership of it and and it's much easier to do once it's already registered as derelict in order to do that. They can also, according to the law, um, prosecute the owner now. That hasn't happened um, and I don't probably don't see that happening Mm. for a long time. So I'm not too sure what, I suppose that would send a strong message, but probably would be, I suppose the financial side of bringing someone to court would be a challenge. It's kind of, I suppose, the the legislation or the political mechanisms that we currently have are are not really geared toward actually addressing a lot of these issues like it's a kind of haphazard kind of kind of it's enforcement really to be honest i mean what what we see is um i suppose we both i mean i suppose as an aside we both work a lot on national or international policies so we work a lot with people like european commission national governments the un and so what we've both been involved in policy development from an ID, right through policy and through implementation. The challenge generally is, and not just in Ireland, but challenge internationally, is not developing the policy, but is implementing it. And I think Ireland is a great case study of poor policy implementation. The CAM projects, culture, arts, nature and wellness is an outreach project advocating 
that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. You can find the CAN Projects podcast at spreaker.com, Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a lot of the other usual spots. And I think Ireland is a great case study of poor policy implementation. So in, in terms of dereliction, if the policy was effectively implemented, we would have a lot less problems now. But what we see in Ireland is not just for dereliction, but if we focus on dereliction only, is that a lack of political and cultural will, which obviously a lot relates to people being voted back into power and keeping, and also, I suppose, when it comes to dereliction, it's related to property, and in Ireland, property is king, and it's a difficult conversation to have in Ireland. But also you have a lot of vested interest because a lot of people in government are also property owners, as we both, as we all know as well. Yeah. So, so they have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. So I think the policy itself could be improved. And Jude and I are arguing for that in our work for more policy measures. But most of all, what we would like to see is a transparency, accountability mm. by the local authorities and the government and full implementation of the existing measures. And the challenge is if you don't implement a measure in one policy, for example, dereliction, how far does that stretch? You know, I mean, the government and the state can be very quick to uh, enforce policy when, when a, someone who is without a home takes maybe a bar of chocolate from a shop because they're hungry, yeah. they're very quick to come down on the policy then and to yeah. enforce that or get people off the streets or take away their tents when they're sleeping by canals. Yeah. But they're less happy to enforce it mm. when it affects them and their and their social allies. Yeah, so when we were witness to the Raptus Committee on um, Housing last December, December just gone, there was both the Watford Council and Dublin City Council and also through press releases from Cork City Council. It's very clear that the council's see that registering, even just registering, not necessarily going as far as taxing or CPOing, but even just registering the derelict sites as too harsh um, a, a measure to take against the owners. So they, they, they've they all clearly stated that they rather work outside of that, deal with the owners directly, um, which can take decade in some cases in court. But that's which, like, it's so like an out-of-court settlement kind of scenario, is it? Like uh, almost or Yeah, it's, 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 to be honest, it's, 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 it's very unethical. It's yeah. all about, unfortunately, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's so, who you know, or like, it's okay for you if you know them because they'll be nice to you, but if they don't nice, yeah, yeah. if they don't like, like me or know me, they might sort me out. I think, and isn't I'm, there a word for that? Is it nepotism? Is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> is, well, that's yeah. Right. yeah the, the challenge with keeping, doing it that approach is that there's no transparency. So they, the councils would claim that's more effective, but there's no evidence of the effectiveness at all because their election is so prevalent and mm. there's a lot more properties becoming derelict every year as well. So it's Plus not as like well, the quality of the building in the last 20 years is not up to the same par that the older buildings were. No. So the not dereliction no. and the mould and the... Uh, I'm just going to show a couple of more pictures here quickly while we're talking about mould because these are just... We'll just, yeah. we'll just scan through these. And, and, and for folks at home, again, if you want to go and check out this stuff, 
uh, in better detail. You can find Frank O'Connor and Jude Sherry on Twitter. I mean, uh, that's there's a, a good, ton of the, stuff the one, there. Sorry. The one you have there is a good yeah. example of something that's been left. That's actually in Bandon, which is a lovely town in uh, outside hmm. Cork City. Like, and a uh, beautiful old town, actually. But that's just an, an interesting example. Uh, speaking to some of the locals, we, and we don't know the town very well, but someone pointed out that's been like that for decades. And so... That's can, just how it, could it be like that for so long? Like, that just seems crazy. And the impact that has on the local economy, job creation, mental health, well-being, aesthetic, and just generally the mindset. If you're bringing up a family nearby, what's it like for kids walking past that every day? What does it, what kind of standard does it set, you know? And going back to social well, contract, you know, you have to lead by example. And if the local authorities... Mm are not prepared to lead by example, maybe they shouldn't have the authority that they do, and maybe we, we need a new form of, of local governments, you know? And that's the, I mean, that is what comes up, guys. I mean, yeah. when we are living in other countries, um, we didn't have these conversations because we didn't need to have them. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. You know I mean, we're only having them in Ireland because they've been thrown to us, really, because no one was actually having them. Um, I mean, it's it's unusual to have this tabletary election. Now, we Do you know what it reminds me of, Frank? Sorry to cut across you. It's, it's like, um, it, like the fact that this stuff has kind of become normalised, okay? Mm. It kind of reminds me of like an abusive relationship or like an abusive yeah. situation where you're you're in this environment, um, but until you get away from it, you don't really see how, mm. like the trouble you are in. And it kind of feels a bit like that, you know, and why that's come about or wh how we got there, there's, um, there's probably all kinds of reasons, but I mean, mainly oh, we just got to solve it really. Yeah, no, I think you'd think that's totally spot on. Mm. I think even the building there behind you, like we hear a lot that owners of derelict properties or faking properties have an emotional attachment to their properties. Now, if that's how you treat something that you care about and have an emotional attachment to, it doesn't really say a lot about your overall, how you, you might view all your other emotional relationships. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's like, I think it is back to what you're saying. It is that abusive relationship that you don't notice while you're while you're in it because it's yeah. just been like, we've all grown up with it. Yeah. yeah. It's normalized, like, isn't it? That's normalized. The thing, it's normalized. Yeah. 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 And um, like we in Ireland have some amazing architectural heritage that we are destroying um obviously we, we want homes for people but heritage is also vital for all of us mm. in terms of connecting to sense of place and well-being and um and also in terms of the economy and job creation and tourism and it's kind of like we had a meeting the other day with a developer who asked to meet with us and probably didn't probably wasn't sort of a, the meeting that he expected but he also he was a developer and he suggested or he got back to us and said he admitted that the city and the towns were being destroyed. Mm. Even though, like, this was obviously... Well, left to rot, record. isn't it? It's just being left to rot, like... Yeah. Like people as well. Like, a lot of people are just being left to rot. You know, and, yeah, and I mean, particularly he, the ones on the margins, like... Mm. Totally. Well, he described it again as a very common term which people use for, for eroding cities and towns, which is the donut model, which is not donut economics, but which is the donut model where you end up with a hollowed-out centre. And that's what you get in Ireland, unfortunately. I mean, some towns have escaped, but very few, really. And um, Yeah, actually, do you know, it's funny because I was one of the... I was so happy to... See, I think what you have done during the pandemic with, with this work... It's it was it's such a good use of time, you know, um, to, to 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 put your time into something constructive while we were all kind of dealing with lockdown and all this other stuff going on. And I remember one of my first trips into the city centre here in Dublin, 
and seeing dereliction in the middle of the city and just being like, what is going on here? Because it had been so long since I'd been in 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 in, in town. Mm -hmm. That you, when I see these things, kind of... yeah, I'd I hadn't seen it in a while. So when when it, when it, when I when I saw it and saw how bad it was getting, I was like, "What is going on here? This is not normal." Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think when we went up to Dublin, like we had like a walking festival, we that we attended our election in Cork last September, which we organised with Cato Attendance Union in Cork, and then we had a, a similar one in Dublin, which we organised with Reclaimer Spaces and Cato Ireland. And I suppose when we went up for that walking festival in Dublin, which, um, you know, we were totally amazed how eroded the centre of Dublin actually is and that there is no one living anymore in the centre of Dublin. Then when you and walk around... Rent, time, rent is astrono astronomical now as well. Yeah. Like, there's a couple of groups I'm, I'm kind of keeping an eye on, like Rent Watch kind of, kind, of, kind of stuff, where it's like people are being charged like €1,200 Euro a month to live in a hallway with a bed in it, literally like a hallway. And it's like, that's like, isn't that against like the UN chart or whatever or what, isn't it? Yeah, yeah like we're, we're going through a renovation uh, long, taking, self-renovating, taking quite a long time. And we had a look for, um, to rent somewhere for a, a six months or a year while we were doing it in Cork. And just the prices of it, you were like, oh, well, actually, it's not too different to living through, through our own building site. Yeah. Um, but you're actually yeah. through the nose for it, like you. Yeah, an awful amount. The standard quality, quality accommodation is horrendous. But also, mm. it's, it's, the quality was horrendous. The choice was horrendous. But also, you were kind of made to queue up with a whole load of other people in the queue, and it's almost like you're all fighting against each other for the person who's going to get the property. So it's a horrible experience mm. as well. Mm. I mean, you know, um, it's yeah. That's going on a long time now as well. Like the la easily like like back 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 two thousand and eight, even all this kind of stuff was before the crash. Like this stuff was going on. Like, um, mm. it's not anything really kind of new. All that's new. All that's new is that it hasn't changed. I suppose. Like, mm. um, so I mean, maybe we're t touching on a good point there. That that that's where some of the the um. If there was more, if there was more pressure put on these so-called landlords to actually like maintain a decent quality of of living for people within a space, like surely that that's a very that there's a very strong case for that because like things like mold is really common. That's a really yeah. common thing. They literally they one tenant goes and they'll come in and and just literally paint over the mold. And yeah. I, I had a few friends with, with the same thing, and uh, one couple that I knew that. Um, one of them was like really ill with a chest thing for ages. She, she just couldn't shift it until they moved into a new into, into a new apartment, and then all of a sudden she was better. So surely that 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 that, that must be a good um a, a good point to, to to follow up on. Because oh, totally, totally. Um, and again, that's back to the abuse of relationship. Really, um, that the standard is very low here. Yeah. Stand, standard of construction is quite poor in many cases, but definitely standard of maintenance, and that goes back into the maintenance inside and yeah. outside and like you would think the as a culture of what we've been through as a country that priority after our independence would have gone towards tenants um tenants rights to make sure they had good mm. quality living but it still seems priority still seems to be on on landowners and landlords and mm. um, and especially when you hear in the doll that a, a landlord's rent is a is their income where you know so that the I suppose culturally we've gone so far away from where our roots would have started as a country in mm. our in our fight for independence. Um, and that's quite 
depressing to say the least. Um, but we ne- we do need a massive shift change in that because if you go to countries like the Netherlands, the rents so the, there's two different rent systems. There's a, like a, a social rent system. So over half of Amsterdam is social renting. So no one will pay any more than seven fifty for no matter like whether it's a three bedroom. And then on the, under that, it will all be a point system based on its size and what facilities it is. But even in the private rental market, the, the standards it's still um, permanency re- rental and um, tenancy rights. Um, they're still regulated on what they can charge and how they charge it. But the standards of accommodation is far superior than what we have here. Mm. That it's that people are not only in insecure homes or in uh, inadequate homes. That well, I think you're, what you're it's, touching, not, it's a conflict of interests, though. When you have people who are in charge of implementing legislation who have a vested interest in how that's carried out, it it that is not right. You know, that's mm-hmm. just not right. Like. Absolutely. And um, I suppose there's also like a whole, there's so many issues, like there's like a snobbery as well, you know. I mean, in Ireland, we look down on uh, people, look down on people with less money and stuff, or maybe in a, you know, maybe ability issues, whatever. It's it's horrible. I mean, it is, it's shocking here how we treat it. It's also like a, a, a further lack of understanding of how economics work, that if people's wages and their stress levels are, 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 sunk into just providing an essential home then they've no avenue to be innovative or to be entrepreneurial um, or to create companies or to go out and take other risks when all their their whole life is just being drained hmm. by, oh, by yeah. just trying to live and survive so it's not it's not well, good then, for... sorry go on I've, i found myself now because i'm self-employed that when you do try and get up there's always someone there to slap you down Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, to maintain the status quo, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. yeah no, we, we've definitely had more tro- troubles um, running our own a small company here than we have in, in either the UK or the Netherlands. It's much harsher here, yeah, yeah. Big business as well. What talks in yeah. Ireland, like, that's just there's no denying that, like, yeah, there's no, no totally. denying that, yeah, totally. There, there is it's so hard for people here to, to, to innovate and stuff. And one of the things we've been pushing for is because when we were doing our daily dose of dereliction for a year we were getting a lot of people coming back to us obviously some people obviously uh quite supportive maybe some people challenge it great it's good to get different discussions going but what we did was we introduced what we call the walk and talk so if someone wanted to meet with us we would meet in the city center and we would take them on a walk around and we'd take in the buildings and look at the decay and the homelessness the heritage the dereliction and that you know, proved really useful. But what also informed us that there were so many people like yourselves and ourselves who were looking for spaces not just to live, but also to create, to innovate, to build communities, to bring culture to the city. And loads of people, like a lot of well-known, I suppose, creatives really, all struggling because there was no spaces available. Yet we were surrounded by vacancy and dereliction. And it looked like a lot of the landlords or the property owners weren't willing to rent out the spaces at all. And if they did, it was totally unaffordable prices. So you're basically destroying any chance you have to build a community within that urban environment. And um, that, again, I suppose, is is a, is a bit of a shock because you're, you're, people are living in precarious situations in terms of home, but then they've got nowhere to play and create. And if they want to access work that's meaningful, 
it probably doesn't exist. And if it does, how do they get there? Because they can't afford to live in the city anyway. So you end up with, yeah, I mean. It's just I mean, kind of things are at odds with, with, with itself, really, as far as society, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah, you're, you're, you, I did I did want to ask you a bit more about this. The, what, what is it? It's called the um, the rest play work model. Can we get into that just a little bit more? Because we, we did touch on it, but I think it's a really important point. Yeah, it, it I mean, needs a bit more focus. <laughs> yeah, I suppose a lot of what we do is um, because on one hand, we're kind of working, you know, so like over our careers, we could be sitting in meetings with kind of top government policy people and it can get quite like um, the language can get quite complex and stuff. But like a real interest for us is is, is engaging more in a community citizens level. So what we try and do is take some of our learnings and bring it down to more accessible language. And that's what Risk Play Walk is about, really. It's a very simple lens or framework for viewing your urban environments and the idea that there is that rest is everyone has a right to a home and we firmly believe that everyone has a right to a home and then play is very much about the importance of play and creativity and innovation in our lives and what we find in Ireland again is so many people haven't got a home but also so many people haven't got play spaces for kids you know safe access all that kind of stuff so the creativity stuff is missing and then the third element is the work element so we feel that Every urban environment can thrive if you can get the right balance between rest, play and work. And when we came back to Ireland, we thought we'd focus a lot more on the work side and how we can help to generate sustainable local circular economies. But actually, because of the situation that we faced when we arrived, we've ended up spending a lot more time on how, on the home side and also the creativity side as well in terms of saying, look, provide the spaces. If you've got spaces empty, provide them for the local families, local communities, local cultural groups, and then they can thrive. And the knock-on effect, and I know that's what you guys do, like in terms of your, your work on culture and arts and, and well, wellness and stuff. You know what we're talking about here, that you cannot thrive unless you have those spaces. And we would love spaces to where we can connect with other people, but everything in Ireland is commodified. Everything has a price here. So if you go into Cork City Centre, you can't even get access to a, a toilet without paying. Yeah, you know everything's commodified. Rip off to, Ireland, isn't that? Isn't that like yeah. one of the terms that was going around there? It's just like a rip off. Like it's just yeah, it, yeah. things are just set up to drain people of of of, of their which, money. Like yeah, which brings us back to are we are we citizens? Are we people? Or are we just consumers? Yeah, and if, yeah, if that's a great point. If our, if all our policy is just going towards monetary transactions then it devalues everything in, in life yeah. yeah I mean yeah. so like you know the, the public realm is being sold off and it's all being pro uh, privatised and very few people are speaking up about it so you, you're having less places in your urban environment we chose to live in the city centre of Jude Night we chose to live in an old part you know we we didn't want a lot. We don't have a car. We rent a car if we need it. We get public transport. We love that kind of environment where you're meeting people all the time. But there's less places for us to go. There's less parks. They keep setting off the green spaces. And uh, it becomes very difficult for people to live in these environments. And it all becomes about, like you're seeing in Dublin, where Dublin's a great example, but also a very bad example of where it's all just hotels and, and you know, it's there's no community. And um, I suppose we are concerned that Everything here is about profit. I mean, it's the word that we've heard more conversations people talk about profit in Ireland than I had previously for for decades, honestly. Well, that tells Ireland, you a lot, like... Irish people are obsessed with profit, honestly. There's this obsession here with 
how much money are you making and could you be making more? Yeah, and you know, we talk about that a lot. It's like the measures of success, like, you know, where it's like, no, to be successful, you need to be doing better than, than someone else and you need to have the two cars yeah. and you need to make lots and lots and lots more money. And I think what as a society, what's really important for us to survive and have a better quality and fairer uh, society uh, is is the measure um, for me a measure of, of of success is when 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 there, there there there's something done that benefits everybody the community not just one person or a group of people you know where they're hoarding they're just like they're just taking and taking and taking and yeah. and, and increasing their profit margin it just kind of seems uh, not to not to put the cat amongst the pigeons out there folks but it sounds a little bit psychopathic really to me yeah. it sounds sick like it's it's definitely self-harming yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah 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 i mean we're hearing stories from people like where if you're a teenager in cork city and you uh, you're inside the city center just hanging out which why shouldn't you you'll be uh, approached by uh, by 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 the guards and you'll be asked for your number or your name and where you're from and asked to move on. Well, that's quite scary because that's getting so fascist. Like, and like any time we've seen that kind of behaviour, like generally society was going down a dark road when people can't just go out and just... Mm. Yeah. Just be. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I think if you're... um, And I think that gets worse as well because seemingly if you're maybe the colour of your skin or whatever... Then you your might accent. be even, or your accent. I think you're yeah. even more likely to be approached as well, which seems insane. I mean, we've only heard some of these stories recently through uh, people we're meeting, and it was actually really upsetting to hear it. Actually, mm. I think you know, and uh, I think, um, and they go on about antisocial behaviour, but like a lot of the people in their teens and their twenties, they just want somewhere to hang out and chat with their friends. Why shouldn't they be able to do that? It's inhumane. It's an inhumane yeah. attitude. Well, I, I think part of it, sorry, Chris, is that. I think that that kind of behaviour is at so at odds with what, like, our natural state of being, you know what I mean? That's not normal. That's, like, no. sick, you know? It really yeah. is. It, it is. Sorry, Chris, you were going to say. Yeah, one thing I would like to say there now um, is, like, the skate parks. Anywhere they've opened up a skate park, antisocial behaviour kind of enforcement has had to go way down, like. Mm. You know, um, the, the kid, people have somewhere to go. They have somewhere yeah. to do things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, the data you know, is there. Like, it's not, we're not making this stuff up. Like, that's like, a real, yeah. that's a case. I think, I think it was like 20% in swords that went down when they opened the skate park. Oh, like, oh, antisocial yeah. behavior offenses, like. Yeah. Yeah. 20%, that's, a, that's you know, that's a fifth, like. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah, just substantial. It, that's amazing. And that's not surprising. But then it also begs the question of, like, you know, it's not deemed antisociable for a property owner to sit on decaying heritage, decaying homes in a city centre, they're actually rewarded. Yeah. But a group of teenagers can go into the city centre today in Cork and sit down and have a conversation, whatever, and they'll be moved on, harassed, taking their phone numbers and deemed to be antisocial. And if they do it a few times, they'll probably get a bad tick against their name. Yeah, and you know, that is abuse. Like, that's abuse. And like, that that transfers then you know what I mean they go off and then then, then they're not yeah. feeling so good and you know then maybe they're being a bit moody to to someone in yeah. their family or whatever like it doesn't just stop at that yeah. you know but also no. they are yeah. also seeing as they walk into we'll say if any teenagers who live near where we are if they walk from our house and nearby where we live into city centre you can't avoid the dereliction decay the 
the vacancy, the homelessness. It's all around. It's everywhere. So they go in past all of that. They go into the city centre. They're pointed out by the guards as being the ones who are whatever, antisocial. So what message? So how do we expect these teenagers to grow up and take responsibility for their actions if we and the authorities aren't prepared to do that? And I think that's this crazy disconnect, you know, that's the thing that we see here all the time is that, yeah. you know, that depending on what side of the fence you were brought up in or who you are, you have a different rule book. And I think Ireland is a great example of sadly taking on the colonial stuff onto a different level. It's almost like yeah. if you look back, the British tested a lot of their colonial ideas in Ireland, you know, education, even mapping systems. And so we move on to a situation now where it's almost like Ireland is taking it on to a new level. And I think that's, I find that particularly scary, you know. Yeah. Like, we should be a society where everyone is treated equally. And social justice should be the core of everything we do. And we cannot say that's happening at the moment. You know, we right. cannot honestly say it. it's It's nowhere close to it. No, and, and the fact that it's kind of like there's a, there's, a, there's a notion out there that we are that when we're really yeah. not being that, that's quite dangerous as well, actually. I, I think that's that's your that's your washing. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. your washing. That's your kind of gaslighting. I mean, you know, it's like, um, and I think that's it. I mean, like I said, I've been doing a lot of research since I come back into my family history, particularly my grandfather, because he fought in the war of independence of the war, like I said earlier, and realizing what his values were and what he tried to do, and people like him, who, you know, who sacrificed years on the run. He was six years, uh, you know all the kind of stuff that he was in the flying columns. And um, so he was really on the front line as in guerrilla warfare. And to see what he tried to do and then to see where we are, it's like... But it's, it's, like it's not, not just that, it's also after independence. After we got independence, he was one of the people, like hundreds and thousands of people across Ireland, who set up local cooperatives, local dairy cooperatives. And Ireland had the biggest amount of cooperatives farming cooperatives at that time, just after independence, there was hundreds mm. and hundreds of them across Ireland. And as a new way, new economic way of, of working that we all work collaboratively together and said, yeah. but unfortunately they were swiftly undermined mm. um, yeah. and, and done away with the, that small economic um, small yeah. cooperative models. And to start up a cooperative now in Ireland would be Nearly impossible, I'd say, to do it on a it is. specific level. <laughs> yeah. 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 I actually tried to I tried to start up a bit of a cooperative there a good while ago, and it was just too much hassle to be worth doing, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the yeah. incentives are not really there. Like, isn't that kind no. of the, yeah. the, the incentive is? Oh, we'll just go and rip someone off. Like. Yeah. Well, like like I said, my grandpa came out of the war, and he was in prison at the end, and he he was came out, and like you say, he went into. <laughs> set up the local GA, uh, you know, he was big into so us, he started that, and he started the co cooperative with other people, and um, it was all about community, 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 this strength of the community and treating everyone as equal, and I think, and like, he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't alone, that was happening across the country, and so how do we get from that in the 30s, and what we know was supposed to a certain extent, by su su successive governments who basically... Um, I think there's a bit of a power. I think there was a bit of a power vacuum issue as well, you know, like that when we made that change into post-colonial stuff, there was kind of, you know, we didn't really work. We hadn't got it worked out, I think. Was, no, was we definitely thing. didn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
you know, and I think also probably a lot of the same people kind of carry it on, if you like, and probably, like, you know, you often hear it, I mean, it's been in quite a lot, I think, the last few weeks in social media, how the fact that you can change the government, but you still have the same civil service. Yeah. And if you look at the colonial period, I'm guessing a lot of the people who were doing the administration, the background, were, were the same people who probably carry on as well. In a similar system. So I suppose what, like, what's particular interest for us and with their like, Ireland is that accountability within, because governments, like the politicians, we held the count through the elections and that's up to the whole country to decide how we elect mm-hmm. politicians. But with civil service, it's a bit more complicated. Yeah. Um, but that's like, that's, I suppose, with their like, Ireland, is a, it's an example of that, is that we've had our democratically elected representatives bring in a law Back in the 90s, it's been amended a number of times on the request of civil service to increase its, say, its uh, penalties for a dereliction. But actually, then when it comes to enforcement, it's not done. Yeah. So it's yeah. And how can you, like, I suppose what's really interesting, and this, I mean, we could probably talk all day because there's so many angles. And that's what we're finding, what we're doing is there is so many angles. But I, I suppose we are intrigued how a local authority can choose not to enforce the law. So can we all choose whether to break to the law <laughs> or not to break the law? Yeah. Is that a choice that just goes to certain people? And is that what an equal society stands for? Is that what the Irish Constitution is about, that certain people are allowed to interpret the law? And I think we are totally intrigued that the local authorities have a law unto themselves. I think it's intriguing, guys, and I think it's something that is not discussed away enough and by the media. We we have one the least autonomy in our local authority, so they have the least amount of power. But the small bits of power, whether it's their election, whether it's illegal parking, for instance, whether yeah. it's like whatever their small bits they do have, they are they're un, unable to enforce it equally or unwilling or unwilling. And um, so like what we would like to see is our local tar- authorities to have more power, to have more autonomy, to make more decisions, to have a bigger budget, not to have to go to the national um, departments every time in order to make decisions. But in order to do that effectively, we need wider accountability within that. And total transparency. So one of the things that we've been pushing for is, you know, we're getting a lot of hints from people over the last couple of years. Well, we've been told to be quiet a lot. So a lot of people have asked us to stop doing what we're doing. Um, and that's okay. That's their choice to do that. But also, we've been encouraged that we're not playing the game. So we'll never get any support in Ireland. We'll never get any funding. That's fine. Well, that probably means you're on the right track then. Yeah. You only get them in the right way. <laughs> yeah. You know? but it just shows, unfortunately, I suppose what we're trying to say is that unless there is transparency, like why should Frank and Jude get access to a space, for example, and you guys not? Why should it be all behind closed doors and funny handshakes and no. brown envelopes and who you know? Like, yeah, from a purist perspective, so just to we give, wanted to be open. Just to give an example of how it would work in Amsterdam now that they're proud, they're proactively addressing vacancy in their election. So if an owner of a vacant property, not a home, we say commercial property, has a, a property that's vacant, that's emptied out, if they have no plans for it for the next six months or the next year or, the, or they want it's part of a major redevelopment, they'll 
they'll go to the council and they go, we have this space. Can you find someone to fill it? And the council have a whole programme where they go out and find collectives of artists and creatives, community groups. groups. It could be a whole variety of different types of people. But to, to, to take over that space for a certain amount of time, whether it's six months or three years, and to use that space to make sure that to maintain the building, to be custodians of the building, um, but also whether it's it can be different objectives. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. And that, that works because the owners have a cost to vacancy and dereliction. So whether it's building controls, whether it's threat of squatting um, and security controls, we put all that, that cost back on the taxpayer in Ireland. So the guards are the ones who do security control of vacant properties in Ireland. It's the, the council who go out and, and fix a property if it's falling down in Ireland, not the owners often. So that that we've taken on those responsibilities, but we don't get any of the benefits as taxpayers. We don't even get access to the properties. Um, so that's just to compare the contrast there is, is so wide. And that's that's because the, the Dutch have gone through waves and waves of addressing this in different ways. And that's the most effective way they can find at the moment to address well, that's great. Like, I mean, we should be looking at, at at the other communities and seeing what's got like how have people approach these these things. And like, what well, like it doesn't make sense not to do that and well, to just pretend just to pretend like Asher, that's how it is. You know, what kind of yeah, attitude yeah. is that like? Yeah, but also you got to remember that, like, I suppose the Dutch have always been prepared. Well, in the last number of decades, to go out and protest. So the Dutch. Actually, yeah, I wanted to ask. You, I know, I know, we're, I know, I know, we're running a wee bit tight on time, but I did want to mention quickly, just just with regards to you know, there there are solutions and there are things on the horizon that are promising, mm-hmm. and there was um, a demonstration down there in Limerick, wasn't there? Uh, this you you got you guys were yeah. there, were you? If, if, um, yeah, there was a there was a walking tour to uh, in derelict uh, Limerick at the weekend, so you know we went along to support it, and it was a great turnout. Um, it was kind of the idea was based on the walking festivals that we held last year in Cork and in Dublin, and they took the idea forward and they basically kind of tweaked it to suit themselves. And uh, it was different to ours where we kind of made them ours non-political. They did have a political element uh, with different parties speaking, but they did a great job, a great turnout. And I think it kind of demonstrated again that it is a growing movement and it's across. I mean, you'll probably have seen from social media, but. Okay, we might have started the conversation in June 2020, but now you've got uh, derelict leash. Uh, there's derelict in group of Mayo up in derelict Drada. That's, that's brilliant. So yeah, right across the country, there's people all over the country. And do you know what? We then, really need that sense of kind of community, you know, and and yeah. to bring people's morale up because people's morale are is so low right now and is, and 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 again like we said there is this, there's this sickness in society that to see this kind of stuff where people are trying to we're leaning on each other and we're trying to lift each other up it's so so important and for yeah. me that's with this work that that you guys are involved in and other we're now seeing it happen around the country it's so encouraging you know and we really need that bit of encouragement yeah, and and definitely, and I suppose, I suppose what we've always what we've tried to do from the start is to we've shared everything we've done openly, uh, and we want people to take it on and use it as they see wish, and uh, just go with it. Really, you know, it's more people getting involved, more people giving their approach to it, engages with different audiences and stuff, and it's always been about for us. It's always been about an open movement for everyone to get involved, and hopefully, more people will join. And there are changes happening. I mean, more people pushing. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. You know, yeah. that boulder will get up there eventually to go back to your Sisyphus reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And you'd be surprised how, like, we've, I suppose, we've, I suppose, got feedback now. It's reaching people, I suppose, maybe that wouldn't normally reach before, you know. Uh, but then that's about having different media approaches as well. But also, as but well. But the like, openness, Frank, to, sorry to Kokarsi, but like, I think that's another really important point transparency and openness and, mm -hmm. and welcome people, including landlords, including yeah. everybody. I want yeah. to hear what everybody has to say yeah, and yeah. in a truthful, honest way. That's that's well, that's, that's where we got to go with this, I think. Yeah, well, and that, like that's like for some owners of of derelict or vacant properties, it's the it's not it's not always a malicious intent on their behalf. It's the easiest thing because doing so many like finding contractors in mm. Ireland, finding builders in Ireland, even though especially for older buildings, knowing what to do, we don't have the skills yeah. and we don't have the knowledge here widespread enough. And then even like buying properties and selling properties in Ireland is so stressful mm. and so <laughs> complicated to what it needs to be or how it is in other countries as mm. well, that it's so, that often the just the easiest thing to do is to do nothing. Mm. And that's that's what mm -hmm. needs to change. Yeah. We need to get rid of some of the hoops. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely seems to simplify the processes in terms of selling and buying. And also provide a much better like uh, approach to providing support for people who do want to do up their properties or, you know, I think that's the thing. And and we need to invest in skills, a lot of skills we've lost, like, you know, the craft skills, things like using lime, uh, you know, instead of uh, for, for, for walls and stuff. We've lost a lot of that. So we have to invest in skills. There's a whole multi-pronged approach. And I suppose that's what we tried to outline a bit in our Houses of the Oireachtas submission was that, one or two measures is not enough. We, we need a much bigger toolbox of measures, but there's no point creating the toolbox of measures if we're not prepared to use them. Yeah. And that's the fundamental question. If the local authorities aren't prepared to act, then we maybe need a ne another mechanism and maybe it needs to be a national implementation if it's not going to happen at a local level. And I suppose that's the big question because why invest in the toolbox if no one's going to take out the tools? Absolutely. I have to I have to say, Frank, I really, really agree with that sentiment because it's important that what we do put our energy into that we know where like there's there's loads of causes out there. But yeah. I, I mean, for me, my, you know, for, for any of us, there, there's only so many hours in the day. And mm. I really focus on, OK, well, where, where what can I put my energy into where we're going to see traction? And yeah. it th th that's a really important approach as well, I think, as well. And and I do really admire that you guys are bring that 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 kind of attitude to the table. That if it's falling on deaf ears, it's not a great use of time or, and and, and no. energy. And especially when there are so many people who do need help, that we do, that's well, where we need to go is where people need help, you know. And not and not yeah. not just where like we got to go, we go we got to go out of our comfort zone a bit. You know, yeah. and probably yeah. well, probably yeah. regularly, I would say. Yeah. Know. Well, if you take a scenario of like, if we've got, if we have one hundred eighty thousand vacant properties in Ireland, which is some of the figures, and if there's about twenty thousand plus derelict properties again, which is some of the estimates, yet we have about ten thousand just less than it without a home at the moment. I mean, we've got another couple of, um, I suppose, twenty, thirty, forty thousand at least more in precarious rental situation. We have the housing to take all these people into better rental, better sale conditions. We could change Irish society by doing that. And a lot of the ambitions you see from government is, oh, by 2030, by 2050, that's too late. We would have lost so many people 
we could do this mm. way, way quicker. And I think and it's always been the same. I mean, sustainability for all my career and Jude's as well. There's always these long-term ambitions. We need to have much more ambitions for now and for the next couple of months and the next couple of years. And I think mm. it's, you hear sustainability, climate change, and oh, 2050 will be there by 2050. If we're, lucky, if we're, if we're lucky. Oh, but, but by 2050, all they're planning on doing is kicking that can again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, they've kicked the can for all my career. I mean, it's always been kicked, you know. Yeah. And when you call it out, you know, and this is not just an Irish thing, this is an international thing. When you call it out, you get isolated. So a lot of times in my career, I get isolated because everyone thinks I'm the awkward person at the conference who puts Here their is. hand up and says, I don't agree. And people go, oh, you're always awkward. You know, and I, that's, there is so much society throws that back on it. And this was, I think it goes back to afraid. that. It goes back to, yeah, they're afraid because I think it, ultimately it's like if, if people can be more comfortable with the fact that they're just exploiting, that that's how they that's how they operate mm -hmm. is to exploit. I think it's 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 easier when you can kind of just kind of say, oh, well, you know, I'm above you or your opinion is yeah. not valid and that yeah. that 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 sets themselves that sets that 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 offset uh, then you know where uh, you're you're too negative i yeah. mean you're too negative you know you need to be more positive and <laughs> yeah. i think that's when we get a lot and like i mean i'm a very positive person really actually so and idealistic and i always think it's change is possible but you have to balance that with the pragmatism you have you, you, you know you have to be realistic as well and stuff, you know, and, and you know, you have to be tackling the right issues and stuff. Um, yeah, no, hmm. absolutely. Well, look, we were after getting through a mountain of stuff there and I want, I'm not going to tie us to what past what we said, but I'd really, really, really love you to come back soon. And there's, hmm. a, there's an open invitation. If I, can, if, if I can be frank for a minute, yeah, you get to be Chris. <laughs> I'll be sure. <laughs> can I be surely? <laughs> yeah, you can reach Charlie. Okay, Charlie, but, you must be kidding. Uh, <laughs> but 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 Frank and Jill, there's an open invitation for you to come back That's anytime nice. you like, and we'd be very happy to help in any way we can. So the door is always open. Give us a shout anytime, and Thanks, um, whether it's for a chat or if there's something that you think that we might be interested in absolutely Brilliant. gives the show anytime okay thanks guys um, we we'd appreciate be, that we'd be more than happy to come back and, and and cover this more and as it develops because i am seeing that this is starting to, it's it, every week every day there's new stuff and and for folks again at home check out frank o'connor and jude sherry on twitter or on inish.org that's a-n-o-i-s.org and there's an absolute mountain of stuff there to look at okay and um, hashtag derelict ireland great okay so Thanks, Thanks guys. a million. Thank you. See you soon, hopefully. Thanks. Take Thanks. care. All the best. Time. Thank you. Yeah, bye. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow. But that really yes. is this dereliction thing. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a disgrace. It really is disgraceful. We will be coming back to this, guys. Remember, hashtag derelict Ireland, and I'll pull up the Anish website there again. I highly recommend that you go and check out uh, Dr. Frank O'Connor and Jude Sherry's agency there, Anish. Um, they're all about sustainable design and if we can pull it up there there it is there i mean it's let's have a look if not now then when it's a great question <laughs> you know, brilliant it's a, it's a vital question yeah yeah for folks who want to learn more about can projects uh, which is an outreach project um, that advocates active engagement in positive and creative outlets mm. is beneficial to our health and our environment 
you can find our website in the link in the description. Or you can check out our podcast, the Calm Projects podcast on Spreaker.com. We're also on a lot of the usual uh, hangouts like uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, a lot of the usual ones. We're on YouTube as well. Um, if you're listening to only the audio right now, there's a video over on YouTube for free. Calm Projects podcast on Spreaker.com. Anything else I'm forgetting, Chris? Uh, lick, bear, and describe. I mean, like, share, and and subscribe. Oh, yeah, listen, we need support, okay? Spread the word, spread the word, calm projects. Okay, listen, everybody, please, if you can. Help each other, help us all. And um, we bid you do. Slong a fall. And the calm projects email is calmprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the Cam Projects website in the description. All the best.